Hey everybody and welcome to Positively Midwest. We are in episode 18. I am Steve Jurens and with me is my lovely life partner and wife, Catherine Jurens. Hello, hello. So in today's episode, it sounds like Mama Bear over there wants to get a little aggressive and we're going to talk about Steve's childhood. And it's going to be going to be uh, a heartfelt subject. It's going to be touchy and uh, there could be some uh, hot sports opinions. Um I hear that from another radio station that I listen to. <laughs> so uh, anyways, um, <clears throat> what I have also found is some information possibly regarding the subject. We'll see if our equipment is as cool as we think it is and um, it'll record it and we'll be able to pause it and talk about it in real time. And I know there's podcasts out there where people are jamming to like Star Wars and then they watch the entire show and talk about it. Whoa. And I thought ours being an hour and a half sometimes are long. That would be a really long podcast. Yeah, but if you're super in love with Star Wars, I totally get it. So, I mean, I I like them. So. It's almost like you'd have to watch the movie along with it while listening. I believe that's what I meant. No, so they do too? Mm-hmm. Like the people that are listening to the podcast watch it along while they listen to the person watching it while they're talking about it? I don't know, but <laughs> they probably could do it on their computer or Whatever. I don't know. Anyways, or they live stream the whole thing while they're doing it. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. So, and uh, this has become a habit. You playing with a pencil? In true talk show fashion. I've got a pencil in my hand all the time, so I can flip it around. So anyways, um, do you want to introduce this segment? How would you like to speak up of this episode? Um, what it do? So you have been, you've thrown out little bits here and there about your childhood um, talking about that there was alcohol abuse issues related to a parent. And so we've touched base here and there on some of that stuff. And so we've had some people that say that they want to hear more about your story, how you personally can overcome things, you know, more about, you know, not not like us too, but like you in a sense, right? And so this is just one of those topics because even though you go through something as a child or as a young child, it definitely um, is a part of forming you as an adult because while you can overcome things that you went through, they do have a part in playing who you are emotionally, psycholo- psychologically, um, the whole thing, right? Yes, I believe that is correct. All right. So I was born May 28th, 1984 on a summer's... Evening or afternoon, I don't remember what time I was born. (laughs) And I believe it was Memorial Hospital in Watertown, South Dakota, to an 18-year-old man named Troy Stephen Jurens. Hello, that's my name, Steve. And Jean Gruing. Well, now you know the real names. And she was 17. 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And just turned 17. Yep. And um, so I... uh, they were youngins in, in a small community. I'm not sure how, how cool that was, but who knows. So, anyways. Um, and it was, like, they're youngins, and this was right at the end of her junior year of high school. I think so. And so, like, you know, like, when you're youngins, that kind of plays a part, too. Is like, because she was still in her formidable years? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So, um I mean, obviously, they were young when they had had it, so um, had their child, me, 
And so uh, I'm not really sure exactly what happened. I, something with my mom wanting to go to nursing school and my dad went into the Marines. I don't know if that was to help pay for schooling or he just wanted to be a Marine or whatever. But um, so we moved to North Carolina and um, somewhere I want to say in the Jacksonville area or something like that, because I can remember um, I have a little bit of an eidetic memory. I'm not quite like Sheldon, but I can remember watching like, um, ooh, that sounds better. I can remember watching uh, Fraggle Rock and stuff, and I had a VHS uh, where it was recorded off of there. And so um, that's what I watched a lot of. So yeah, that's why I said if you're talking it sideways, it almost picks it up better. Okay, sorry. I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. I play with my mic too much. Yeah. So anyways, um, and... Uh, I was in the ocean and stuff. I was told of a story that I fell onto a fire ant hill once and my dad had to brush them all off me. And then on time when I was like three, I fell off a concrete picnic table. And so like my right eyebrow like hangs down a little bit almost ish. Oh, and that's what happened to you. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. So joke, and I have a scar joke. on my on my forehead. So one of what became many falls in, in my life, um, maybe that's also has something to do with my alcoholic fall downs. So anyways, um, I don't know. Uh, then we moved back to uh, Watertown area. And um, from what I can remember, my dad built a, uh, um, built a house out by the, the lake and um, it was some... I don't know, government-assisted house or something. I don't know how it worked, but I guess that doesn't matter. So, But then I can recall um, in that five-year-old range or so, uh, my room was upstairs um, all the way back, and there was a vent there, and the basement was relatively unfinished. And um, to preface any of this situation, I don't... um, I know a lot of these things are normal. Um, I know there's people that have it way worse, and there's certainly people that have it way better. So this is just my story. I'm not going to try to have judgmental tone or in, or inflection on it. It just it is what it is. What I know I went through, I went through. How I feel about it is how I feel about it. And um, hopefully we'll have some advice and stuff for people here too. But certainly it has had an impact on my ability to be a husband, to be a father, to be a good friend, um, jobs, all certain things sort of different things in this this video that we'll play later um audio will be great for that i think so anyways i can just remember a lot of fighting so um just just screaming and hollering down in the basement and then um then i can just remember my stepmom i'm not quite yet then but got into the picture and it was just me and my mom out there and that's when i can remember just glimpses of things but i can remember um you know different dudes coming out there and uh um hanging out and um i can't really think of anything bad necessarily happening there but like just that they're always trying to be cool and sometimes they bothered me and so it always makes me think of this movie man of the house and we just watched it recently too but it's got chevy chase and jonathan taylor thomas the hottie from home improvement everybody was in love with and um, Farrah Fawcett, I think. And, uh, anyway, so I don't know what happened with the dad there, but he, my mom dates a bunch of other guys and he tries to mess them all up and do stupid stuff. But I can remember one time typing on a typewriter that my mom had, it had this little digital readout in it as you were typing, but you just type and type on it 
And then I like, it was a bunch of garbage. It wasn't really any words or anything, but then in between them, I would put like dick or asshole or, you know, like dirty words. And I would just hide them in there. And I don't know how old I was, but, um, you know, six, seven, eight, whatever. So, um, you know, I know there's always alcohol going around and, um, parties and things like that. And I can't really remember if there is much, um, you know, like not being around or anything there, but, um, and then I think that's when about my stepdad came into the picture at some point, but I can remember acting out early and, uh, in school. And I know that a lot of times I was kind of, kind of a bully, um, really, uh, verbal and rude to people. Um, something about pouring milk all over somebody's tray, you know, and inevitably over my life, I too, I've had people remind me, um, as I'm an adult, um, I was in Aberdeen one time and ran into some gal, um, we know. And then I was like, Hey, how are you? And blah, blah. blah. And she's like, why would you want to talk to me? And I was like, what? Well, you were always a jerk to me in school. And I was like, I don't even remember that. But so I tried to apologize, but sometimes that stuff just stings. So anyways, um, I had to eat with the teachers in, um, the teacher's lounge. Cause I was, I couldn't even eat with all the other kids. And I was always lashing out. I can remember in first grade, had a little rat tail and my teacher would chase me around and try to grab it. And, um, yeah, just naughty and lashing out. So as we progress, just to get to more of the relative point, um, you know, there, there was what seemed to be, um, a lot of alcohol, and um, I couldn't begin to know what was going on. And so I, that's why I say I don't want to judge because I know that there was a time in my life where I've struggled with alcohol abuse to a degree. And um, but that's where music became really important to me, too, because it would drown out a lot of the noise, whether it was fighting or whether it was other noises that I just didn't need to hear. Um, you know, it's just uh, um I can just remember being left home alone a lot. And so I was what, you know, if you've seen the cable guy, it was stuff about, um, I was watching MTV, you know, at a really young age. And, um, thankfully when it was all music television, what it's supposed to be and not this other stuff that's out there, I'm not going to soapbox about that, but chimney crickets. Um, so, uh, so yeah, and I watched like Friends, and I would call one of my buddies, and we would talk about it. Um, Caroline in the city, you know, there's some good memories and stuff like that. But um, you know, I just remember um, getting some paperwork um, that was between my parents, and it was about um, mediation. And this is probably when I was 12 or 13, and and it was. Um, you know, being home, uh, left home alone for multiple days, possibly, uh, teachers bringing food over to me or hanging out with me. I remember one of them, uh, taking me to basketball games and stuff. And maybe that's why in high school I became such a badass student manager, but, um, I would carry water and stuff around and, and so you pick up some things, you know, with narcissism and stuff like that too. Um, because I felt like I was blamed for a lot of things. I felt like I was blamed for, which in fact happened verbally at one time that because, um, I was conceived at or born at such a young age that, um, I was what had hurt my grandparents and, um, 
you know, just really weird drunk conversations. Um, so, um, I can remember, um, you know, I've heard stories and stuff over the past, um, you know, of, uh, um, parties at the house and just really, really bad, stupid things going on, motorcycles being pushed over and trying to be lit on fire and, um, things that a kid should never see or hear parents do. Yeah. And, you know, I watch shows like I, I've referenced in the last couple episodes, The Wire, and, you know, I know where those situations are worse. You know, their parents are alcoholics or drug addicts and, you know, they're beat or um, I feel bad for anyone during the COVID situation with lockdown that didn't get food and didn't get, um, you know, they were beat up or sexually abused. And I can't imagine what any of that was like, but, you know, I can just tell you that I was in pain and that I was hurt and that I was lonely and, um, you know, it was just, there was always a new guy in my life every couple years or a few years. I can't even remember how long my stepdad was, was around. Um, but I would, I've always thought I'd like to reach back out and talk to him, but he's been remarried and has some kids of his own, I, I believe. Um, and, uh, so I can remember going to some kind of counseling or something and, and I've wanted to try to track this lady down before, but, um, she wanted to like videotape me because I was, um, such a unique case, if you will, (laughs) which I think is what my, uh, counsel feels right now, actually, even too that in the 20 years she's been doing it, I'm certainly one of the more unique people that she's ever ran into, but I think that's all in a good way. I have become very intuitive and um, empathetic and compassionate, you know, with still having this percentage of arrogancy and confidence, but yet the complete opposite. It's like a total Gemini situation. So is that what you are? Gemini? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yep. So um, anyways, you know, I, I can remember a lot of that stuff, but I don't remember a lot of that stuff. So, you know, we're scratching the surface on some of these things. Honestly, it's a very uncomfortable subject because I know it's going to be out on the internet for the rest of my life. And, um, I haven't talked to her for a couple of years and, um, at this point, and I have no idea how this is going to come back and, um, karate chop me later, but I have the strength that I am not doing anything wrong because everyone has a story to tell. And if it inspires one person, then that's all that I really care about. Um, you know, if it, have even saved somebody's life who knows so um but so at one point I was uh I was told that I was going to go to a Christian school because um I had an attitude problem and I was naughty and you know but yeah I was lashing out I mean I didn't really get disciplined a whole lot plus by the time I was probably eight or nine I was probably bigger than my mom anyways and uh so, so to me a Christian school was a punishment I wasn't going there to make friends. I was being pulled away from my friends, um, people I'd grew up with and gone to school with since kindergarten. In the middle of fourth grade, I'm getting thrown into some Christian school. It's not like we went to church every Sunday and had devotions and things. And so to me, religion was a punishment and school was a punishment. Uh, Christian school was a punishment. So, um, but I made some really good friends there. I guess I don't, I can't really think of I've ever interacted with any of them. They're kind of all scattered all around the area, but I'm friends with some of them on Facebook and stuff like that, and um, so we still kind of keep in touch. But we run into a few of them here and there in town. Yeah, um, 
And so that's where some of that, during that mediation, that's where some of that came from too was um, some of those teachers uh, were interviewed um, because they knew they knew what was up. And, uh, you know, I think that's just how mediators work. So, so then I was, um, you know, I just, I don't know. I would just always lashed out and was always, uh, I, then I'd start to learn to suppress feelings. And then that's where I developed the class clown situation. And, um, <laughs> I mean, I was even thinking about it earlier. I knew we were going to do this episode, but it made me think about I just thought differently, but even sometimes with work emails, you know, somebody will send something out to everybody saying, hey, this something cool happened, and then I'll reply all, and I always have to say something facetious or try to be funny first and then follow it up with something normal instead of, why don't you just, sometimes I, I send it and I go, why don't you just say, yay, that's awesome, or congrats, but a lot of people appreciate it, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't. And it's not always the time frame. And there's so many times I cringe. And I don't, I don't know. I think now, sometimes in my life too, I've called it the Chris Farley syndrome. But you just feel like you have to be switched on all the time. And, and pe- then people expect that of you. Like you've got to be funny all the time. And you've got to be the life of the party all the time. And um, they want to put you on the spot or, you know, um when we were partying and stuff more heavily, you know, it was like, Oh, call Steve. He'll do this and be crazy and blah, blah, blah. And where sometimes that's fun and nice to be known as that. But, um, like we'll listen to in this audio, it's, uh, it's a psychological thing because you, um, it's a defense mechanism, you know, and you've heard of the, the crying clown or the sad clown or whatever it is. And so, you know, they, they paint their face and they're happy and they're always, trying to make people laugh, but behind it all, they're all crying. And, um, that it's just their mask. Yeah. And that's partial to how I felt at times, you know, um, this audio, maybe I should just start that now because I already am referencing a little bit and whatnot and I'll pause it and then we can talk about it and stuff some, but, and then I'll go on to, um, you know, when I got to, um, moved to Rapid City, and then we moved back here to Castlewood, and then I met Catherine, and then she'll be able to shed some of her personal stories um, with it. And so I, I also don't want this to necessarily be a whole um, attack my mom type situation, but you got to understand where I'm coming from. you got to understand who I am and why I have this passion to, to really try to help people. And maybe she'll listen to this SOB and go, oh, he's not effing around, you know, I mean, we can talk about this stuff or something. So, um, but almost been going to therapy for a year already. So it's something. All right. So let's unmute this click and let's click this and then we'll mute us. I like how you add this. Childhood PTSD is in its essence, an injury to our ability to connect with other people. Abuse and neglect early in our lives literally change our brains, and neglect in particular can physically restrict the normal processes that enable us to identify good, appropriate people to bring into our lives and to gradually open ourselves up to them and develop close and trusting relationships. Maybe that's a good first stop because um, I can tell you that that was, it was kind of difficult. Like I can, I can connect with people almost immediately if they allow me to. But if you're, you know, 
I don't know, you're kind of one of those people that has your guard up or you're a big tough guy or, um, you know, you're just not receptive. And then I, I close off, you know, I'm like, oh my God, they don't like me. I, I can't, if they don't like me, how can I make them like me? And it almost might become a mission or, or I go the opposite way and I push and I'm like, I'm going to piss this dude off because how dare you not like me right away. And it's a very conflicting set of emotions that, that can go and it all depends too on what my mood is on top of that. And so through therapy and through research and, you know, listening to audio and stuff like this, I, I you know, learn different things about myself and other people like me and, and say, um, you know, it's just, it's just real difficult to almost sometimes be afraid to talk to people and hello, I'm in sales, be afraid to talk to people or be afraid of being told no um, or being told that they disagree with you. Uh, sometimes that's my biggest fear, and I'm sure you can talk on that because, um, you know, anytime, so there's been multiple times in our relationship where if I've, you've disagreed on something that I feel is just evidently clear, it becomes a difficult situation. Yeah, it's almost like you can't actually have the conversation, so then you just almost become afraid of um, ever disagreeing with you. Yeah, um, you know, and they, you, can be, you can be aggressive too. And especially if you're somewhat narcissistic about the whole thing, you turn it around on someone else and make it sound like it's their fault or they're dumb for not thinking the way you're thinking and just one big ball of crap. This, to me, is the most tragic part of childhood PTSD. To be capable of love but not to be able to sustain a normal loving relationship is a devastating price to pay for what happened. So what I can say there is that, you know, it, it is, um, it is painful because you grow up thinking, you know, um, okay, so parents get divorced and, um, you fight a lot. And so since I've been the person that has, um, I've, I've wanted to do the complete opposite almost of what, what I grew up with as far as my, um, my childhood went with. So when I have kids, I'm never going to do this. When I have kids, this won't happen. When I get married, um, it's going to be a perfect marriage. And I'm going to, to me, I almost in a girl sense had the whole thing set up and ready. Like I'll marry this girl and, and it'll go like this and we'll live this life and we'll have all this. And, um, it wasn't a white picket fence life. No. And so that's when you, that's when you create that in your head. And so when things don't go your way, when you're, you're, it's so ingrained and suppressed in you, all the negativity, you just, you can't handle that someone else that's supposed to be your partner or be a best friend or, um, a sibling or, um, your own kids. You just like, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. And if you love me, you would realize that. If you cared enough about me, you would realize that. And um, have issue kind of, um, you know, articulating that in the right way. My mom has said in the past when you would lash out or when you would not want to, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. I don't know how to say it, but when you would try to push me the most, it would feel like or push me away when you were struggling with your alcohol abuse, my mom would say that's his way of trying to see if you're going to run away. 
You got to stay strong to be supportive because that's what he is looking, he needs, and he doesn't know how to ask for it based upon how he was raised. Perfect stop. But the great news is we can totally, totally make progress in this area if we are intentional about it. If we just kind of leave it to chance and hope we'll figure out love later in our lives or maybe when the right person comes along, we're not likely to improve. And in fact, if you look around the people you know, you'll see a lot of older people who have actually deteriorated from being able to be close to others. If we don't work on this, we risk getting more and more cranky and isolated and hard on other people. And that's the tragedy. To me, the goal of life is to learn, to really learn to love other people. And it turns out that having and growing our connections with others is one of the most powerful ways we can heal our own PTSD. There's a large body of research emerging that shows that loving relationships actually help us heal our telomeres, the little caps on the strands of DNA that protect us from disease and slow down our aging. Love and connection are important for everyone and especially for us who have so much catching up to do. Now, most people with PTSD have been hurt in this ability to connect and if that's you too, then you're likely to struggle with relationships in proportion to the amount of time you spend in dysregulation. Dysregulation breaks connections. Re-regulation puts us in a place where we can begin to repair connections. As people whose ability to connect may be a bit wonky, we can definitely take steps to gradually heal this, and it doesn't always come naturally. Sometimes we have to be very intentional about it and work on it and take steps that are the opposite of the first impulse that comes to mind when we find ourselves struggling. Now, loneliness and feeling disconnection are universal experiences for everyone, at least a little bit, but for us, it can take, kind of take over our lives. And this has everything to do with dysregulation, which makes connection very difficult, and re-regulation, which makes change in this part of ourselves possible. So we want to strike a balance, a healthy balance between solitude, which is the ability to tolerate and even enjoy our alone time and connection with others. Okay. So, um, something like that I can relate to as well. Um, well, obviously this whole thing, but, um, I, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult when, like I was saying, when you don't feel like you've got the support or you, you your instinct is to lash out like you've been, like you grew up with or like you think how you should react about things. And, um, you know, so when a friend didn't, didn't want to go do what I wanted to do, I'm always, even still to this day at time, I'm negotiating to get my way and or making them feel bad for not doing what I want to do when I want to do it. And, um, you know, it's such a, a, a terrible habit to, to have because all the time you're trying to, um, manipulate people into doing what you want, um, so that you can be the one that's happy. So it's not a real partnership and it's not a real connection with someone. And so at some point here, you know, she talks about being, um, you have to be intentional and, uh. And that's what I'm finding has been working the best over the last year year or so is, um, you know, really uh, before, I mean, it's helped a lot with my work life changing um, and becoming more positive and stuff there as well. But um, just uh, checking yourself at the door sometimes before you come inside or, you know, like 
I, I know that I have no idea what my spouse has gone through and um, check my attitude before I go in there and, and different things like that. So I don't know if you have anything to say on that or I'm going to hit the play button. Hit play. Because people with childhood PTSD tend to do a lot of things in extreme ways, and this is one of them. We isolate or live in deathly fear that people will leave us. I believe that's what Catherine was just talking about. Um, and so, um, you know, it was always, I, I, I can say throughout the marriage, there was always a push. You know, at some point, and this is where the, this, I don't know if it really is a Gemini syndrome, but this is where um, I'm always a yinging and yanging myself. But I, at one end, I'd be like, well, I've never lose Catherine. She's infatuated with me. She loves me and um, I can't do any wrong. And then I'd push her too far. And then, it, you know, it was like, um, you know, we'd get into a huge argument or whatever. And then it was like, oh, my God, don't leave me. Don't leave me. Balling on the steps, hanging on to her feet. Um, I can't believe it. I'm so sorry for everything I ever done. I'll never do whatever, blah, 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 wah, wah. And, uh, horrible stuff. I mean, I'm sure you can remember it a lot more than I can because most of the time, um, I was inebriated or whatever and would come home at three, four in the morning and there you were had enough of whatever. But, um, you know, that, w that was the extreme. Everything's always an extreme. So, it was like, okay, so now for weeks or months, I'm going to be the best husband or partner that that on the planet. I'm going to get up and go to work and do all these things and, and be the best. And then you regress or you hang out with the, that crowd of people that pulls you back down into the alcohol and, um, you know, partying and staying up late and just not appreciating it. Um, it goes without saying that, you know, I'd be so great to just go backwards and, um, you know, um, make everything a partnership. Um, but we were also very young when we got together. We were 16 and married at 20. Um, but I was also um, rough, rough around the edges, but was very good at manipulating situations. So but I don't... That's, that's what you were taught. Yeah, and I don't think that anybody in high school necessarily knew my entire story even um maybe good friends or something did you know but there's still some people that don't know some of that stuff and you know you just get so good at suppressing it but it always comes out little by little you know what turns into innocent alcohol and a party you know turns into tons of shots and falling down and spraining ankles and you know falling off, falling down steps multiple times and stuff like that. Um, because you just, you just can't get enough. So you, you go to the extreme, you love, 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 you hate, 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 you party, party, the life of the party. You're so funny. Everything's going great. And, uh, nothing could be done in moderation. Yeah. So that there was always, um, you know, like, uh, just huge parties with jungle juice and a big tub full of it and keg stands. And I mean, we're in the Midwest and a lot of stuff's okay. And you know what? There's one thing my dad's always told me just about anything you do. If you do it responsibly, responsibly, you're okay. Um, it just wasn't responsible. You know, there's many times I'd go to work and, and be laying down in the bathroom, just trying to stay cool. And I knew I was going to have to throw up or, or something else was going to happen. Um, so 
anyways, just that stuff sticks with you and it, and it continues to evolve and it evolves extremely. It's not just a nonchalant kind of, kind of thing. So, um, but if anything, thankfully she's stuck by my side. Um, as now for a while, she's been in my life longer consistently than any other person in my entire life. And I think I owe a lot of gratitude to myself, but to her for the, the man I am today by sticking it out and, and us, neither one of us ever giving up. Yeah. We've lived together for 18 years now. Does that make you feel old to think of that? We've lived together for 18 years. Sort of. Yeah. But I mean, maybe if it was in the 1800s, because we would be dead by now, um, or the 1500s or whatever, but that's because people were married at 12 and died at 30. So now that people are living to the ripe old age of 147 um, and beating COVID at 109 years old, I think anything's possible (laughs) at this point. So, um, but we live life. So I'm going to, yeah, more? Uh, Sure. Go for it. Or did you have more to say? Is that Nope. Hit play. Okay. We cling or we run away. And we might go one way with friends and the other way with significant others. But these extremes rob us of much of the good we're meant to have through our relationships with the people in our lives. Obviously, this is a huge topic. And I may make a whole course on it later this year. But for right now, here are some important things to remember in order, at the very least, to grow more regulated. So first, don't let yourself get too lonely. Every problem of your character will grow worse when you're in isolation. People who have cut everyone out of their lives seldom realize how weird they've become. Their rationale for avoiding everyone sounds plausible to them, but to the rest of us, it's just sad. It is a wish virtually everyone has when they know they're reaching the end of their lives. They'll say they wish they had given even more of their time and attention to loving relationships. Well, if that isn't ironic, um, you know, when I talk about regret and things like that, too, um, in the extremes, you know, you just go from one end of the spectrum to the other. Um, But then there's times where I don't want to be around anybody. I don't necessarily need my wife and kids around. Um, And I can go sit out in the garage and, um, you know, just whatever, but um, hang out and just sit there and even watch a movie by myself or whatever. And, uh, um, you know, but then there's times where I just like, I have to be around her all the time or I am like, Hey, I'm going to run to this place. Do you want to come with? And I don't know if that's codependency or not, but I'm sure that goes hand in hand with some neglect because you're just, sometimes I just feel lonely too. And I'm sure that, that a lot of people can relate to that. You just, you feel this kind of, um, this pit in your stomach or I don't know. And it's just like, like I can't get enough, you know, and I just, I'm just lonely or, um, even if I want to hang out with my friends, but they don't want to. And this has been recent and they're too busy or they don't want to, or, you know, we've all done it, but you give a little white lie to kind of not hang out because you really don't want to, but you blame it on a wife or a kid or whatever. And, but, and it, and it really shouldn't. So this is where you're intentional and you try to rise above, but it just crushes me. Like there's days where for some reason, like, 
you do you have to deal with some depression about it like i just i can't believe that they don't want to hang out with me right now or i can't believe that um they would i know they're just giving me a line of bs or something um but yet i've done the same thing so that's where it's a double-edged sword i've been the one that's been like oh my wife's uh crabby i better stay home um or oh not kids i got kid stuff going on and my dog got a dog and uh you know, so, um, but what do you do? I mean, you just, you kind of have to just rise above and you got to try to stay positive. And when you, that's why self-reflection is so important because I think when you realize what you're doing and what you're going through, you can hopefully pull yourself out of that situation and, um, go talk to your, your partner about it. Um, you know, or go to therapy too, because it helps open your eyes with some of that stuff. So chips. So how can we grow closer to love in a realistic and gradual way that can be sustained? So not letting ourselves get too lonely is how we can grow closer to love in a realistic and gradual way that can be sustained. Loneliness taken to the extreme, and by that I mean we've convinced ourselves that we like the loneliness and we found ways to numb out the nagging worry and sadness about it. So I can talk on that as well because there's plenty of times where that suppression really takes control of your psychology and and uh you know you can you can talk your way out of feeling a certain way just to make yourself positive but you can do that in other ways too to bring yourself down or make a mountain out of a molehill type situation and uh you know just sink yourself into this relative temporary depression even because you're just so upset with um, not being feeling so lonely. This kind of loneliness and pretending corrupts us in the end. And when we're lonely in life, it should feel lonely. The feeling of loneliness is a gift that nudges us to reach out and connect, to keep on trying, to keep getting out of the house when it's tempting to hide out there. So another suggestion is to make yourself connect with people face to face every day. Get out of the house, leave your normal space, and find a way to walk down the street and interact with the world. This is where I have to say that maybe it's uh, um, God intervening and, um, you know, the the universe aligning to that. When I turned 18, basically, um, I got into sales shortly after, and uh, I was forced, or am forced, or... Just I have to. That's my job is to go see people or people would come to me, whether I was in retail or selling business to business or whatever. But I'll tell you, and I know that some of this is is normal human nature, but it does get a little bit deeper when you deal with some of that. Um, I don't know if rejection is the right word. It's just more of a neglective PTSD in a sense where if someone, it seems like someone doesn't like you and it doesn't have anything to do with that. They just don't want to buy your car. Or they don't want to buy that appliance or maybe they found a better deal somewhere and people will fib about that or they'll fib to get a better deal. And I would take it personally. And, um, but you know, I just, sometimes I feel like, Oh, I don't want to talk to another person. Not because like they've been so annoying, but like, I just don't want to put myself out there again. I just don't want to go and Oh, I'll just, you know, not, not do this because I know I'm going to have to confront someone um, and tell them the wrong answer or the tell them no or whatever. Um, 
But sales, I've always had to continue to push myself or I'd lose my job. And I'm capable of many other things, but maybe I'm not good at a lot of other stuff because I'm not going to be a mechanic. I'm not going to be um, a carpenter or road construction or just not a to- totally man- um, me- mechanically inclined type guy. I don't have the motivation to do that. So, But I can sure talk your ear off and, uh, oh, got my own podcast. Weird. So, um, so yeah, I'm sure that stuff you've seen over the years, Mrs. Jurens, that, um, you know, you, uh, you've heard me complain about sales in general, just having to continuously put myself out there. It's hard to do. It seems harder for me to do. You know, there's some people that live to do it, that live to talk to people. And I remember thinking when I was younger, someone would say, I'm like, why do you still do this at 60 some years old? Like I would flip in, if I could if afford to retire, I'd retire tomorrow, you know, which I still think is true. And I just kind of do what I want and travel. But um, they're like, well, I'll just, I retired and I didn't have nothing else to do. And so I thought I like, I miss dealing with the public. So I just came back part time. I'm like, what in the fudge? You came back just to talk to people and get beat up all day and negotiated with all day and lied to all day and rejected all day and then you really in the pit of your stomach don't want to talk to the next person that comes in because you just had enough okay I was, well, all right so i didn't get it but that's where some of that childhood comes in you know you didn't want to deal with that that loss that sense of loneliness that you put into your own head as if you know that's the reality that you created Also, become a great listener. When you're with someone, you actually don't have to talk about yourself half the time or even at all. Problem that I have at times. So certainly, um, like to control the conversation, but there are many people in my life too that um, I've had complaints about where we're trying to have a discussion and they purposely just run through the conversation without barely even breathing. So I can't even get in an opinion, but they don't want to hear the other side. They don't want to hear what you have to say anyways, because it's probably an opposing opinion or they don't want to be corrected. There's more psychology for that person, but, um, or those kinds of people. So, but yeah, number one of the number one things in sales is to listen to people and not just talk about yourself and what your product can do for them. But you've had issues in the past that you're working on that you would just change the subject in the middle of somebody talking and like not converse back because it was like you weren't fully engaged listening. Yeah, you weren't fully listening to us. And so that's something, you know, that you are now working towards yes. to strengthen. Yes, that's very accurate. There are a lot of times, even even nowish, where I am not an active listener, and um, you know. But th- then you're you're either thinking like, well, what I've got to say is more important, so you listen to reply instead of listening to understand, or um, you've just you think you can predict you know what they're already saying, so you're just like, okay, yep, say what you got to say, and then move on from there. So it all depends on the situation. If you can learn to give your full attention to the person who's with you and to really listen to them without jumping in with your own story or debating the legitimacy of what they're saying or any digressions at all, the connection between the two of you will get stronger. 
I mean, right in that moment, you will begin to feel closer. And real closeness will soften any impulses you have to cling to the other person or escape from them or try to control who they are. Now, some people go to the opposite extreme and they pour their whole identity into another person as if this is an extension of themselves. Now, not living in the center of your being carries huge risks because your own strengths are not being revealed and your own problems are not being exposed, which would cause you and your circumstances to evolve. Some people cling to relationships or they get obsessed or promiscuous. Okay, so I can tell you that there is um, certainly some truth in that. Um, you know, I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but I have certainly used in my time frame that, you know, like I am infatuated with my wife. And sometimes that is complimentary, but um, sometimes I think you can um, create things that aren't, you can create expectations that are false in your own head, but you create it. So then if they don't live up to it, you can also use that as um, made up mental leverage on your, on your partner as well, or a friend or whatever the situation is. But, you know, like, well, I can't believe you don't think how I think, or I can't believe you don't do this all the time or say this all the time. And so when, uh, you know, when we go back to growing up and, and how my parents were, um, um, what I thought marriage should be, um, when we, when we got engaged and, and we're getting married, I thought, okay. And I've referenced this over other episodes that, um, I'm the guy and, you know, um, you are, you're the woman, you cook, you clean, you take care of me. I work, I make money, I drink, I go all by myself. I come home, you're there, you're, you know, whatever you take care of me type stuff. And, and that's not a partnership. Um, there are people that can be successful and have those kinds of marriages and they need some sort of structure like that, or that's how they want to live. So as always, keep your judgy pants in the dryer. Um, just that, um, I learned that that is, I don't feel that's the best way to be a partner and you have to, uh, you have to, there are no expectations because we've already had a whole episode about that with, if you have too high expectations, you set yourself up for disappointments and to have the right expectations. So we don't need to um, get back into that necessarily, but just that you continue to understand if if you're creating these things, you're... Uh, um, oops, sorry, I had you on mute. Hindering yourself. Yeah, you really are. And you're you're not being fair to your to your partner or even if it's your kids. You know, if, if you have a kid and it's a boy and you're like, oh, I'm going to have a quarter, all-star quarterback, they're going to go to college and then they're going to get the Heisman Trophy and then they're going to go and um, win Super Bowls and all that stuff. You know, hey, it worked out for Tiger Woods, but what if Tiger Woods would have been a crappy golfer and his dad was tough on him and his dad made him practice golf like 300 hours a day? And I mean, I don't know the real story, but I know it was really tough on him. And uh, um, what if it wouldn't have worked out? You know, like think of how... And I know he's affected in his childhood already, but think of how that does affect him with his love life, with his spouse, and with um, him as a husband. I mean, 
didn't sound like he was a super awesome husband and cared a whole lot. You know, you, you have this lack of empathy sometimes where you think like you can do no wrong and uh, you've gone through all this stuff and they should just understand. They should just understand who you are and you don't need to be fixed because they should just be a part of it. The product of your raising? Yes. But it's okay to overcome and become a better person than just the product of your raising. Yes. And this is every bit as deadening for their souls as having no one. In fact, it's probably worse. Nothing can derail your life so dramatically as sexual relationships with people who don't care about you. For women in particular, sex bonds us to others, whether we love them or even like them. I know there are exceptions to this rule, but I would not really hold up sex with no strings as anything you would want to try in order to become happier or better regulated. Romantic and sexual drama can dysregulate you as surely as violence can. Other people may be able to have casual sex, but for those struggling to regulate, I don't recommend it. Trusting intimate relationships take time. So if you're hooking up with people or getting together with them in a rush or impulsively in the name of having fun, or just to fill your weekend nights until the right person comes along, you're in for a world of struggle. This topic is going to be my next course, and I have a lot to say about losing one's way along the path to love and finding it again. But some quick tips for now while you're really working on your childhood PTSD include notice the relationship between dysregulation and relationship status. Are you more or less regulated when you're with someone? Generally speaking, a conflict-filled relationship will create more dysregulation than being alone, and a harmonious relationship will lead to less dysregulation. An unstable relationship where you're in fear about getting left all the time will lead to more dysregulation, and a secure relationship will lead to less dysregulation. So harmonious, secure relationships are a positive path forward and something to strive for. And the trick of that is, being in a high drama, abusive, or unstable relationship does not work to bide our time until the right person comes. These negative relationships actually take us way off that path. Now, that's something I thankfully I don't think we've had to deal with a whole lot. Um, I've never really been a big fan of drama. In fact, I've been probably overdramatic to keep it less dramatic. <laughs> and as ironic as that is, you know... It really would be, that's part of that, that narcissism, I think, too, and, and not wanting to have confrontation where I would ramp up my anger level or frustration level almost immediately to nip it in the bud or what I thought I was. So they were too scared or just, they were like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to back down. I don't want to deal with it because I really, really didn't want to deal with it. And, um, you know, with what she's talking about with, um, you know, the sexual relations and stuff like that. You know, I think there are different ways where people grow up, you know, and, and that's where you can set expectations too. Um, I've certainly ran into some sexual education books under beds and there was uh, interesting videotapes that were in VCRs around my house. And I thought that that's how it works. You know, so there's been times where I've probably expected certain things that were, um, you know, it's like you're not married to a porn star type situation. Um, and um, that's, everybody's different in that. So I think you have to take it in your own right because, I mean, people are into a lot of different stuff and that's okay. So I'm not judging that. I'm just saying that sometimes if it's a psychological thing that you, um, 
it, it can affect you and you don't look at it the right way and you don't think about it the right way. Uh, so you again, have to have some self-reflection and, and realize, you know, um, where you're at and where you're heading and, and, um, if you're thinking clearly. And while they say that adults still view, you know, some of those aspects as setting it up as high expectations or false expectations for their reality of their sexual lifestyle, what's more damaging is if children are finding that then at that age, because then you don't have the concept of common sense that's setting that forth like you do as an adult. So it's already setting that standard as a young child. The right person will never find us. Or if they do, our manner, our energy, the way we engage with others will be ragged from the days or years of difficulty we've had. So sometimes the shortest path to true love is found by being single for a while. So if you're single or whatever is going on in your love life, and you experience a lot of loneliness, a very good and re-regulating thing you can do is to participate. Participate in your neighborhood, in your work life, in 12-step groups, in family get-togethers where you can be supportive of others. Practice love by being loving to others in little ways. If you're having trouble getting that started, here's a first step. Each day, find two people you can talk to in the line at the store or out on the sidewalk or on the phone and contact them just to express something positive and supportive for them. Don't talk about yourself in this conversation, just show up for the other person. I guarantee you, if you do this twice a day, things will shift and you'll grow in your capacity to love, which can't help but lead to more connection. And in time, you'll find that that love is shining right back at you. Okay, so that was a video on YouTube called Childhood PTSD and Loneliness, How to Begin Healing um, by Crappy Childhood Fairy. Um, but there's some links on there too where you can take a, uh, a quiz uh, to um, see if you have childhood PTSD. I clicked on it and um, it sent it to my email, but it didn't come before we recorded this and it still hasn't popped up, so... Anyways, um, you can also be, be a member and, um, she's got a lot of online courses and stuff like that too. So just so I have a bibliography, but a no audiography, maybe that I hated writing papers like that when you had to reference Mm -hmm. those sources. Yeah. I think it was called a, um, bibliography when you would, um, reference things that you didn't come up with. So it's not plagiarizing. So, so, you know, you kept talking about media um mediation and so while you say that you don't remember everything and so that you had blocked out some of it those papers that you've read of mediation is how you're kind of understanding some of the stuff too and knowing what happened back then just you know to explain when you're like well i don't really remember a lot of it but it's that has come to light yeah and you know so i wasn't even given those until i was an adult you know, to read about them and stuff and try to understand it. But uh, I still don't understand it because I've at least been able to break the mold for the most part. And I've been, things have been said to me and done to me that I could, I couldn't imagine doing to my kids. Um, And it just, um, 
it blows my mind sometimes, you know. Um, so with with neglect, there's generally some verbal abuse um, combined with that too. And things, you know, once you say things like that, everyone makes mistakes. But once you say certain things or do certain things in front of your kids, that can never be taken away. And you've just got to be cognizant. Um, you know, we might, we might, uh, our kids know that we drink alcohol, um, but I'm never like around the house when I'm just smashed or they don't really aren't, they don't come out to the garage when we're out there partying or have friends over or whatever, you know, there's just boundaries. And, uh, I think that's important because they, they need to know you can have fun, but there's a boundary or you can have fun and you don't go too far you know, things like that. And I just witnessed stuff I never needed to. I've heard things I didn't need to. I've read things I didn't need to. Um, and uh, just dealt with neglect and stuff. So when I was 13, I was able to make my own decision, which I was manipulated into thinking that I didn't make my own decision and that I was let to go live with my father. But at that time, I was. And, you know, I can touch on that for a second too because, you know, I know my dad fought his ass off and so did my grandpa, my rest his soul, that um, helped try to get, get me out of that situation. Um, I can remember times of having my, my bag at the front door ready to go with my dad. And because he was late or my not stepmom at the time came to pick me up and I couldn't even go. And she wouldn't let me because it wasn't in the court agreement. And we all know 20 years ago, moms ruled the roost when it came to childhood custody. And now there's a lot of changes through all that. And that's great. But unfortunately I was one of the children that had to deal with sitting there watching them, yell at each other or say you can't have them or call the cops or and then just bawling it didn't nobody won that freaking fight except I was the one that was hurt and destroyed by that and I'll never forget how that feels and so I carry that into my life now too where if I have to discipline my kids and you know I I really come down on them hard there's a lot of times I have to walk away because I break down because it's difficult on me to make even though I know it might be what's best for them it's difficult for me to do it but I do it because I know it has to be done and it's what's best for him. But, um, so we move out to Rapid City and I'm living with my dad and my stepmom and my little sister, um, who is 10 years younger than I am. And, you know, I was always an only child. So there was a lot of, um, we went from neglect to thinking I had my dad's full attention. And, and then there is this little, little, little girl there. And I was jealous of my sister a lot. Um, that was my dad and my stepmom's kid, and I've never called her my half-sister, um, but um, I treated her and beat her up just like a good brother would. And um, But I know I was really tough on her a lot of times, too, and I shouldn't have been because I was so jealous, and I thought the attention was finally on me after all these years of crap I went through, and here I am now um, thrown into a whole family dynamic that's already been created, and I'm the odd man out. And... Uh, I don't think that's neglect, but it's a different psychological situation because I, again, had expectations for something and they had a family dynamic and were throwing me into it. And it was just difficult. And I was a preteen and I was, you know, going through body stuff and it was just awkward. It was just really awkward. I remember not even showering for a couple few days and my stepmom telling my dad, like, you got to go tell him to shower because he reeks. And, you know, it's just goofy. But that was one of the best, I don't know if it was a year and a half or so, that I've, one of the best I've had in my life. And, um, you know, I wish that, there's parts of me that wish we would have stayed out there and it was so beautiful. And, um, 
we were living up in the hills and um but if i never came back i never would have met my life and my wife and that's the worst thing i can ever imagine so i'm glad that all happened but my dad's jobs changed and stuff and my grandparents owned a business here and so we moved back here and um and then i started going to high school here and i had my hair parted to the side and all the guys here were calling me gay and making fun of me and treating me like crap and so I was friends with a couple of dudes I had met through some, um, cause a girl that was technically my step cousin, she had some girlfriends. So I knew them. And then I knew a couple guys I met that summer before I started school. And then I saw one of the most beautiful women on the entire planet. And within two weeks I was gunning for her. Um, and she's thankfully sitting right across from me right now. But, um, I can remember at that age too, like, um, you know, I would have her cruise me around or whatever so I could smoke a cigarette because I was such a badass 14 year old and cruise me out to this gravel road and smoke a cigarette. And then I'd try to flirt with her and, um, you know, I mean, kind of turned me down, I guess, basically, but it was just, it was terrible. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, I, one, I thought it would be so easy and I should just, anybody would love to, be with me or whatever anyways but and then I did um I did date a few few girls in between and and then we were 16 and uh she finally broke up with her longtime boyfriend and and I pounced like immediately and uh, I think it might have been through ICQ or something like that some old messaging service Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah that would pop up every time that you did it um but from that moment on I mean I can tell you that I I mean, I have always been in love with her, not just love her. I was absolutely in love with her. And that's when maybe some of the relative infatuation in a sense started. But I think we were both infatuated with each other because we were so young and we were in love and we were partying and having fun and just doing just doing Midwest kid stuff, having some beers and I'd cruise out with my buddies and smoke a cigarette and whatever else, just real cool people. Um, and then we started to get closer and you, not that you drift away from your friends, but it was more her and I, more her and I, and then, um, but I liked, I liked to party. And, uh, so then I was like, okay, well, this is how it's gotta be. I, I'm in love with this girl. I know I love her. So, um, she always went to the state fair. And so we walked through the vendors and then she said, um, oh, I kind of like this ring here. And I was like, okay. So we went back, or we kept walking around. Yeah, that's cool. And so we went back to the camper, and then I somehow left. I don't know if I said to go to the bathroom or whatever, and I ran up there and bought it and came back and proposed to her. And and then we were engaged at 18 because I knew, I knew all right, I'm going to engage at 18. I'm going to move out on my own immediately because I just can't wait to get it out of the house and be on my own. And I was still dealing with some jealousy, um, with my sibling, I was still dealing with, you know, fighting with my, um, step parent a lot. And my dad was, um, a pilot taking pictures. So he wasn't home a lot. And it was just, I'd lash out a lot still. I'd party a lot still. Um, and, uh, you know, just doing, just doing silly kid stuff. So, uh, and I know I put my stepmom through the ringers a lot. I mean, I was really, really mouthy and she wasn't, you know, she wasn't about to spank me or karate chop me. So, when he wasn't around, it was like free reign. So I know you're checking out some of these. So sorry about that. <laughs> but um, it's, 
um, especially Granny Cindy Pop listens to them, we know, too. So, um, but uh, anyways, we, uh, I thought, okay, this is how it's going to work. So I, I'm engaged. I'll move out immediately after high school. Um, I think we graduated May 18th, 2002. And by June, I had my own place and moved into a, into a trailer house. And I was just like, just dragging Catherine with me, just dragging her. And this is what we have to do. Okay. We're engaged. We have to live together and then we're going to get married. And, um, you know, but the whole time too, the other thing is I'm partying all the time. She wasn't always with me and I didn't invite her. And, um, I just felt like I want to go do my own thing. You do your own thing. But she really was like, I want to be with you and you come home and be with me. Or I'm sure, why don't I come with you? And it's not like she never did. It was just like, it was still like, I didn't want to be lonely and I wanted to be with her, but then I wanted to be on my own too. And just be like the life of the party and be the main attention. And so you can see where that stuff comes from when you're a kid and this class clown, um, where you feel neglected. So you try to get your own attention. And once you have it, then you don't care that you have it. So then you find other attention and you just keep bouncing back and forth to being lonely, not being lonely, having too much attention, not enough attention. And, uh, then we got married at 20 and it's just, just been that way ever since I'd, we, you know, I partied and drank a lot when our, in our twenties, there's times with our kids, I, you know, I feel bad or she might have more memories of something and I don't quite remember stuff. Cause maybe I was a little shadowed in my head and, and that's saddening, but, um, I've pro- progressively gotten better over time and we're at a very, the best place we've ever been in our entire life. And, and I think my lucky stars that you're still here to, for me to tell this story to everybody and to you, Um, and there's always been something and maybe that's you, but there's always been something that has corrected me when it's gone too far and not everybody has that in their life, but, but I think maybe you do too. You know, if, if you continue to do what she said and push yourself out there and meet new people and, you know, it keeps your, your thoughts engaging. And I think the more you realize there's other people out there. There's a lot of people like you, but there's a lot of people that aren't like you that like you. So it's good to have opposites attract and it's good to have opposite friends and get different perspectives. And that grows your empathy, that grows your compassion. And it, and it lets you know, there's other opinions out there. You know, if we were all the same, it'd be really boring. Well, if you're around the same, um, five people that drink every day, you're just going to drink every day and tell the same stories. I don't know if you know any alcoholics, but they tell the same story over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And, uh, so anyways, I digress a little, but, um, so, so it can be very powerful. And if you're a new parent, maybe be cognizant of some of your actions because it's not always what you say, it's what you do. You know, how you handle a situation that might be how they think they should handle it because they don't always hear what, what you say. They just, they see what you do. Think of when they were babies, how they learned how to, um, we, our oldest knew sign language, like 10 different things. Our youngest doesn't, didn't know any, I don't think. You know, it's just um, what you really teach. So, um, so there's a dusting of my story and, uh, um, and now you're overcoming. 
Yeah, and it's really it's difficult to talk to. I've that's how I started my therapy, and I realized that I don't just really have mommy issues, um, but that I'm a very intuitive person. I'm very empathetic. Um, I'm I am fairly intelligent and witty, and those can be used in a positive way. And so, like it says. I am not my past. I am not my mistakes. I am limitless and beyond the physical. I can recreate myself and renew my mindset on a daily basis. And that's one of my favorite affirmations that I do have on a vision board that's always in front of me when we record this. And I think I've mentioned it a few times, but um, you can always change. And you also can learn not just from yourself, but from other people's actions. You can learn from other people and say, I'm not going to treat my kids that way. But you do still have to keep them in check. You know, you can't just let them run run around willy-nilly. But you can, um, you know, you learn from your friends sometimes. Like, oh, God, I'm not, I would never say that to my wife or I'd never do that. You know, and, and uh, at the same time, you can be the beacon of that. You know, you can, when they want to, hey, we should go and do this stupid thing. You can go, nah, I don't want to do that stupid thing. I'm either going to go to jail or... Um, my wife's going to be really mad at me and she's real pretty. So I don't want that to happen because I want her to kiss me. <laughs> in fact, I told her earlier on the, uh, on the phone, I was like, okay, well, I can't wait till you get here so you can give me a kiss on my lips. So, um, I think we've learned, uh, a good, a good balance, um, of now the, um, the mental intimacy and the, um, the romance and date nights and um, checking each other in a positive way and not a narcissistic, um, you know, why the heck don't you feel the way I feel and think the way I think? But, okay, feels like you're throwing me a little tude, a little shade. What's up? You know, and, and we can see each other in, in a different way. And so your actions do speak for themselves because, you know, I... I've told my wife I'm sorry a thousand times and I and one of my things for a couple few years now I said don't tell me you're sorry show me you're sorry and that's what I I think why we're in such a good place because that's what I've been showing her through therapy and through self-help and through self-reflection and this podcast helps me a crap ton actually um, interviewing different people and digging into things and we do research and and then just therapy in general so um it's one of those weird situations where you'd say, I don't, I don't want necessarily to change anything because it made me who I am today. And, and then it's a delicate balance when you're thinking of how to raise your own kids. Like, gosh, you almost want to give them a little bit of, you want to give them enough space so they're independent, but you don't want to give them too much space where they don't rely on you. Um, I got to discipline them, but I don't want to be too hard. I want to give them this, but I don't want to give them everything, you know? So I get it. It's totally take it from someone who didn't think they had anything, but really, when I thought, when I think back, I had clothes, I had food, I had a roof, I had cable television, which a lot of my friends didn't. Um, but that was a good babysitter sometimes too. Was that so? Um, my grandparents would cruise by at three in the morning, and I'd be up trying to watch cartoons. But it was mainly infomercials because they didn't have cartoons that late. Now I'd probably be watching Adult Swim at eight years old, and that would be naughty. So. Anyways, um, we can dive into adulthood um, stories too at some point because um, Catherine's been around for, for a taste of it. And she has seen her be treated real bad and 
Um, we've seen her create her own problems. We've seen me create my own problems. We've seen me replicate some of those things, but overall, um, dodge a lot of that, that stuff. Um, I, I think that there's plenty of times where if I made, uh, if I would have made the other decision, I would be doing drugs and laying in a gutter and dead. I would be living in a, in a big city, not doing anything with my life whatsoever and just looking for the next fix. I mean, it was already a possibility yet alone, um, without any of that guidance. So, because I had a wife who grew up almost completely opposite of how I did and, uh, maybe her not understanding it completely because she didn't live through it was a, a sort of strength like um, pick yourself up, quit doing this shit to me or quit doing this stuff in general. And um, her Midwestern farm stubborn ass, I'm not going to leave you and we're going to work this out. So, I, And once I started to see some of it in person, then I understood it and could try to help you a little bit better than I could at the beginning when I didn't... No. Yeah, and it's, I don't know. Drugs and alcohol are really difficult. You know, you you really can't ever completely give up on somebody, but there are times where you have to cut ties. And after the sixth DUI and um, the second or third penitentiary time and uh, 30, at that time, 33 or 34 years of aggression um, came flying out and we had a huge, huge blowout. And, um, you know, I probably went over the line and said some nasty stuff and she said nasty stuff about my lady and, and then naughty messages were flying around two over, over months and, uh, um, just thought it was healthiest to, to get out of that situation and detox my life. And, um, so thank God I do have, you know, a stepmom and I understand how difficult that must've been and, and that, um, I know at the end of the day that they do care. And, uh, I do have a dad out there and he cares and, um, I got a, I got a grandma left. So uh, I do miss my grandpa quite a bit. Um, him and I were pretty close cause I was the first grandkid and, um, I always think that, um, I always think that stuff could have been a little bit different if, if he might have uh, been able to stay around a little longer because it seemed like he was some sort of a glue that um, he was destined to 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 teach me all the things of sales and um, what my potential was. And I remember picking weeds and having to do my own paycheck and take out taxes. And um, so... Our kids don't know how good they have it, huh? <laughs> So that was, uh, that was uh, like when I was 11 and that was tough for me just because, um, I think I was 11 when he passed. Yeah. I would say we were sophomores in high school. Oh, I think it was like a year before I came in the picture. Two well, years, a year remember. or two years. But, uh, I even had my own alone time. Everybody was like, Hey, you just want to hang out here, um, in the, in the funeral place. But, um. So there's a lot of times where I'll cruise out there and, and just hang out at his grave and I'll talk to him for a minute or two. Um, cause I always thought we had kind of a intimate, uh, relationship and different from everyone else's. And I know that, th- that they were always there fighting for me and worrying about me and took, took care of me a lot on weekends or whatever else. And, 
Um, I don't give uh, my uncles on the other side of the family a lot of credit, um, but I know I've stayed at their place a lot of times, and, and they've had to put up with a lot of stuff over the years too, and so I appreciate you guys for that too. Um, and So you can't do this stuff alone, um, and there's always people in your life that are there to take care of you, and um, you can always reach out. So as I've said over the years, you can reach out to me and to us. We'll, we'll find people in your area or around here that... Um, that are willing to help you out with stuff, but yeah, that stuff affects you a lot. So sorry, I tried real hard not to completely lose everything there. So <laughs> I lost it. I was gonna so we say. wrap everything up positively <laughs> as we do all the time. And, um, you know, this is always a, I want it to be thought engaging. Um, I'm not just throwing people under the bus. I'm not just trying to have judgment calls. Um, but, uh, there's a trial and a tribulation, um, story of mine, one of them in a brief overview history. Um, and we can wrap it up positively by saying that I have gone to therapy. Um, I have read self-help books. I've taken responsibility for my actions um, I had treat my wife like a partner, like she matters. Um, you know, there was a moment where this whole podcast and everything was kind of going to be my journey. And, um, I wanted it to include her because who better to tell the other side or things I can't remember than her and to give that perspective over time. So, and, uh, I've learned to appreciate just how, how cool she is. So, um, so I love you a whole bunch and I can't thank you enough for sticking it out and, uh, being there longer than anybody else has in my entire life and, uh, just stick it out. You know, people just, uh, find help, read a book, go to therapy, you know, all that stuff's worth it. If you just want to go get a divorce right away, I mean, whatever, but, um, there's certainly reasons that that's, that that's necessary, you know, if there's abuse and all those things. But there are a lot of times where you can fight. The divorce rate's well over 50% now. I, I don't know where it's at, but... Um, um, and it's not like a judgment thing where it's terrible that people get divorced. It's terrible because it is necessary for people, for some people. And it's necessary for your kids. I know that too, you know. It was probably a good thing that my parents got divorced, Um it's just unfortunate that I got stuck on the one side of the parent that um, maybe I would have had this whole different family dynamic if I could have, if the court system would have allowed my father to have custody from the beginning. I would have been around when my sister was born and I would have already been part of their family dynamic and just so many different things could have been different. You know, so one, thanks to all you people that fight for for kids and for children's rights and for parents' rights and 50-50 and that actually means something I think now to have 50-50 and there's different there's like a week with one parent week with another mine was Wednesday nights for a few hours and every other weekend like that's not getting to even know the other parent and when you're a three-year-old or a five-year-old or a 10-year-old it just that whole week and a half you get awkward you know I can remember feeling awkward with my dad and you know, even now sometimes we're awkward with each other because that just develops that way. So, you know, just be cognizant of stuff and never give up. I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I'm obviously a success story because 
I mean, and I'm not trying to be facetious, but I've been married to the same woman since, or with the same woman since I was 16, and we've certainly had an emotional roller coaster. And we have um, two beautiful children together that are amazing little girls. One gets up at 6.30 to 7 in the morning, cleans our house, does other stuff. Our other one is evidently going to be creative, and um, it's probably taken that route so far. She does a lot She's of... She's going to be a YouTube star. <laughs> yeah, she sits around a bit, but, um, you know, everybody has... There's so much opportunity in the world today, you can't even just say someone's lazy and doesn't do anything anymore because now you can be on YouTube and make more than someone who's been working their whole butt off. <laughs> so we have a house. We've got dogs. Anik's got a crazy haircut, um, completely different than uh, what she looked like before. It's on our page. Um, you know, so we're doing really good and things are only getting better. Um, I'm not sure what, but Catherine has this inept ability to, to get more attractive as she gets older. So I got that going for me too. Um, and, uh, I went back to a haircut from about seven, eight years ago. And, uh, by the look in her eyes, I am looking good. Good. So, uh, it's just nice, you know, when I when I can take that breath and I can put all that stuff away for the moment. We got it all out on the episode. I got emotional. Um, There's some some tears and some stuttery voices involved, and then to be able to look at her across from this table and and just thank God and the universe and everything that that if it wasn't for her, a lot of the times my life would be effed up. If it wasn't for my dad, a lot of times my life would be effed up. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom's kept food in my tummy and roof over my head. So I wasn't, you know. Or random people kept food in your tummy. Yeah. Yes. At times that was the case. Yeah. So, um, anyways, uh, there's plenty of, uh, um, information out there for you to, for you to find and find help. But like, as always reach out to us, uh, let us know what you think of the show. Throw some feedback out there if it's only if it's good feedback and, um, screenshot stuff and um, heart stuff and like it and share it um we are pretty darn close to 2000 um all-time streams which uh pretty crazy and then we're on episode 18 so so let's do this outro are you ready sure thing okay uh here we go all right everybody so thank you for listening to positively midwest i'm steve jerns my wife joined me Catherine, on this one And uh, we had a lot to talk about. We had a lot of fun. Um, I enjoy doing these. I hope that we inspire people, engage them. And uh, we are on every major platform. And uh, stream us, like us, comment, share, join the group, invite your friends. And we thank you. And as always, please, please, please stay positive. Stay positive.